Uh, we're happy to be here this morning, as Stacy said. Um, uh, we're planning on going to West Africa as church planning missionaries there, um, where we, you know, like, like it sounds, plan a, a local national church and also be involved with the scripture translation there as well. Um, and in a way that's actually, and Stacy alluded to it, is kind of in a way a second time that you're, this church is sending us out to plant a church because we went out to help with the launch team with Chuck, uh, the Marshall family, to plant Waukesha City Church. And so uh, that's why you've not seen us for the past couple of months. We've been helping them out over their summer. And uh, we're glad to spend this morning with you today before we jump in the van tomorrow and head down to Texas for about three weeks um, and spend time with my family and uh, uh, spend some time down there before we'll be back up here again. Looking forward to that with you guys again. But um, yeah, so let's go ahead and, and dive in this morning. Um, about a month or so ago, Pastor Luke asked me if I'd be willing to preach a sermon uh, on the topic of the importance of church planting. And whenever he first asked me that, I thought, obviously, that's a no-brainer. I mean, as I just said, you know, we're, we're looking in January to go and start a church planting ministry there in West Africa. We, we helped out with the launch team in Waukesha City, and we spent the last three or so years of our lives preparing to be cross-cultural church planting missionaries. And so I likely have a lot of things to say about the topic. I have strong opinions on the topic. I have a very high view of the local church. And so for me, I thought, okay, well, obviously I, I can do this one. And to, but if I'm honest with you, I've probably rewritten the sermon about 10 times and the struggle with it. What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? I don't want to just deliver you this a whole bunch of methodology that's going to bore you all to tears of this is how you could do it. These are different ways. But really this morning, I, my hope is that we can just be encouraged by Jesus and how he has designed us to work together and how he's given us each other to, to edify, to disciple, and to teach and to grow with each other uh, through the local church. And so... Um, as, as I said, I have a very high view of the local church, and my fear is that in our Western American culture, even within Christian realms, we've kind of started to adopt a, a lower view of the church. Uh, let me ask, has anyone gone out to eat this last week? Anyone gone out to eat this last week? Has anyone, what about yesterday? Yesterday? I went out to eat yesterday, if takeout counts, which I, in my opinion it does. Um, with four kids, you don't want to take them all to a restaurant. It doesn't work well. But we went out to eat. And so whenever you go out to eat, how do you usually decide where you're going to go? What sounds good? What, what am I feeling like? You know, what, what will just satisfy my cravings? What sounds good to me right now? And I'm afraid that that's kind of the, the method that we're leaning towards to adopting churches and, and joining churches and attending churches is that what sounds good to me? What, what will help me satisfy my cravings where I'm at right now today? And, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you go, the food's good, you had good service, well, the chances of you going back are, are probably pretty high, right? And you go again, have that same experience. Before you know it, you become a regular attender to that restaurant. Same thing with church. If you become a regular attender to church, what, I, what I'm assuming that probably looks like is that you know, you come probably fairly regularly, just as it sounds. You probably come most Sundays, maybe special occasions and events. But, it, but if that's the extent of your church experience, if that's the extent of your church involvement, um, then I, I just like to tell you that I think you're only eating off the appetizer menu, right? You're, you're, you're stuck to just the appetizers, and the appetizers are good. Don't get me wrong, I love Pastor Luke. I'm, I'm appreciative for the mentoring, the, the, the teaching he's given me. I, he's had a great impact on my life. 
And I'm appreciative that we have uh, talented musicians to come and lead us into worship and competent people to run the sound and the PowerPoint. And I'm definitely grateful for all you guys making coffee out there in the morning. There's many things this morning that I'm grateful for. But the church doesn't exist one day a week. The church exists seven days a week. And I don't mean that there's always services happening here in this building. The church is its people. And the church exists seven days a week. And so I say all of that to kind of get to that first, my first point. If you look in the back of your bulletin, in the sermon notes section, says, uh, the first point is the mission. What is the mission? If the, if the mission of the church is not to satisfy my cravings, if it's not to just get what sounds good, then, then what is the purpose of the church? What is the mission? If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this one down. Uh, the mission of the church is to make visible the invisible. Let me say that again. The mission of the church is to make visible the invisible. And that's certainly uh, not a unique and new idea for me. I didn't get to coin that one, but if I can read from you uh, a quote from Mark Dever, he says it this way. Wrong ecclesial, ecclesial being things to do with the church, ecclesiology is the study of the church. So wrong ecclesial teaching and practices obscure the gospel, while right ecclesial teaching and practices clarify it. To put it another way, Christian proclamation might make the gospel audible, but Christians living together and the local church make the gospel visible. So Christian proclamation of the gospel. The gospel made audible. That's evangelism, that sound teaching, sound preaching. Hopefully what's happening here this morning is what I want you to hear is the gospel made audible. I want you to leave today and be encouraged by the fact that Jesus Christ, God himself, came and took the form of a man. He came and he lived the life that you should have lived, but you did not. You lived a life that you couldn't even meet, you couldn't even meet your own standards for life, let alone a righteous God's. But Jesus Christ came and he lived the life that you should have lived. And in your place, he died the death that you deserved to die. But it doesn't end there. And putting his full power on display, Jesus Christ then rose from the grave, beating and conquering death. And raising that new life, he offers you his righteousness, his new life. He offers you a life free from sin, free from death, free from, from the, guilt of sh- the guilt of sin and shame. That righteous life. And so as, as important as it is to have the gospel made audible, to hear those truths, to know those truths, I want you to look around. There's some empty chairs next to some of you, right? There's some empty chairs here. And I'm assuming you, you drove here this morning. You got here somehow, and as you did, you probably passed some neighborhoods. We're sitting right in the middle of quite a good number of neighborhoods. If, if all those people wanted to come hear the gospel made audible, they could do it right now. We'd have a standing room only, and the fire mar- marshal would have to come in, right? The, the gospel made audible is here. It's known. There's a church here. They could come and they could hear it if they wanted to. But I think the 20th century sayings are, have some truth to them. Let's see if you know the ends of them. Talk is cheap. If you're going to talk the talk, you've got you've to walk the walk. And so I think there's some truth in there. Before the lost are ever willing to hear the gospel, hear it made audible, they're going to want to see it made visible. And that's where the church comes in. If you can, you can turn to me, uh, with me to John 13, verses uh, 33 through 35. And Jesus is speaking. He says this, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. All people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see, if you... The thing the church, or the thing that the world needs to see is a church. They need to see my life and your life interacting together. And as that interaction happens, they should see our love for one another, and they should look at us and see that that's a little bit different. There's something different about those people. They must be disciples of Jesus. When they look at us, they should see, I wonder if that's what God's like. I wonder if that's a clue of what God's like. The gospel made visible in our lives as we work together, as we function together. And if you forsake the importance of the local church, if you, you just make it about, you know, I got saved, I accept Jesus, and now it's about, it's about me and it's about God. And as long as I have me and God worked out, then that's all that's really important, right? That's me and God, so please don't, don't come into my life and judge me. Don't, I, don't, I don't really need this right now. I don't need the church. I'm kind of busy. It's just me and God. Me and God are good right now, and that's all that's important. If you adopt that point of view, uh, then I would argue that you're, you're taking on for yourself an, an absurd amount of responsibility. I mean, do, do, you, do you think that you're, you're best off in, in, this, in this fight, this life, without any comrades? Do you think you're, you're best off, you're able to, to, to teach yourself, to completely disciple yourself, to mature yourself, and to not need any influence or any teaching outside of yourself that you just need you and God? And even if somehow you can maintain that, what about those who you are witnessing to? Let me uh, paint a, a, a picture of some of the religious realities that me and uh, my family are planning on going to in West Africa. If you, if you Google uh, countries like Senegal, Burkina Faso, Guinea, West Africa in general, you'll, you'll quickly start to realize that uh, the predominant religion in most of those areas is Islam. And that's mostly true. So people who study religion kind of break, it, break down different, uh, different questions that people are asking and what they're trying to seek from religion. And there's something called high religious questions where basically uh, questions like, where do we go after we die? Who, who created us? How did we get here? Those sorts of questions are kind of viewed as high religious questions. And so for the majority of those um, in West Africa who profess Islam, that, they're going to Islam for those questions, to answer those questions. However, whenever Islam came into West Africa, it didn't do a very good job of eradicating the, the old uh, ancestral belief systems. So when it comes down to the very practical, everyday life questions of, you know, how do I stay healthy? What happens if I get sick? What do I do then? Uh, what if my crops aren't growing? What do I do? Where should I hunt? What all these very practical everyday questions, they run back to the tribal, ancestral belief systems. And so I want you just to, to imagine yourself going into that sort of situation. And you're, you're faithfully, you go and, and you learn their language and you start, you begin preaching the gospel faithfully, preaching the gospel. And by grace, some are saved and a man comes to you and says, oh, thank you so much for your faithfulness for teaching me the Bible, for teaching me about Jesus Christ. 
uh, thank you so much. I believe that he died for my sins, and you, you said something about a new life, a, a righteous life. He gives me his righteousness. How, how do I get that? What do I do? What, 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 what's next? Do you think that he's prepared to be in a, a, a position where you just say, no, it's good, just, just pray, brother, and work on you and God? But he says, how? What, what does that look like? How do I do that? That's where the church comes in. We're faced to either make some, some strange sort of spiritual lone rangerism that will never last, or we can begin the work of church planting, where together it can be seen both, both to ourselves and to the outside world what the gospel looks like. Um, so we have this, this mission, this mission for the church, the gospel being made visible. It would be great if we also had a mandate to go with that. Um, and as Drew read this morning, and as the, the text is up there, at least the uh, excerpt text is up there, uh, many of you will recognize that as the Great Commission, right? But Great Commission doesn't start with an M, and I'm going mission model mandate. It sounds better that way. So we're going to call it the mandate this morning. Uh, so it'd be nice if we have a mandate, which obviously we do. And in, but with any good mission statement, it's good to have practical steps or goals built into that to kind of know how do we achieve that goal. And so if you can, you can uh, read with me. Again, I'm going to start in verse 18 this time of um, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we're looking for kind of some nice imperatives, some steps to take out of that, let's just go ahead and do that. The first one Jesus says is go. Where are we to go? Don't be shy. Where are we to go? The world, to all the nations. We're going to go into all the nations. And he says next to make. Make what? Make disciples. Go into the nations, make disciples, and baptize them. Well, the implication there is that those people who are made disciples, you baptize those disciples. But whose name are we baptizing them in? The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, so we're not baptizing them in the, in the name of Michael Creech, I baptize you, or in, in the name of the Baptist denomination, we baptize you. No, it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're making disciples of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And next he says, to teach. What are we to teach? Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded you. Essentially, we're to teach them to obey Jesus. And so, it, it reads kind of simple. Let's just do a quick recap. We're to go into all the nations, we're to make disciples and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey Jesus. Again, and it reads simple, and it reads clear, and I like that it's clear and it's concise. It's something for us to easily look at and see. Uh, but I just want us to think about, you know, which one of those points would be best done without the local church? I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find one. Um, even, even going, okay, I can... I can speak from maybe a little bit more unique situation than some of you. Uh, I, I'm going, I plan on going because 
the local church through Jesus Christ is sending me. And you're really, in a way, not much different this morning in that if you are a member of this local church, you're here this morning. When you leave these doors this morning, you're going back into your communities, into your workplaces, into your neighborhoods to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in that community. So going, I believe, is best done through and with the local church. I don't think my wife and I would last for very long without a support system back here for us. To make disciples, we make disciples because we have been discipled through the local church. And then baptism. Baptism, I believe, is another one of those things where it's a visible sign of something that's taking place that's invisible. And so who better than the local church to rally around that person and say, yes, we've seen your life. We've, we've seen, we affirm that you are a disciple of Jesus. And so we, we baptize you into our membership. We baptize, we affirm that. We see that that is who you are. That is your new life. And teaching. And we can teach because we've been taught through the local church. And again, it's still kind of reads somewhat easily. You know, it, it still seems simple, but whenever you plug it into practical everyday life, things can sometimes get complicated. It's not always easy to live as a disciple of Christ. As a matter of fact, I, I should say it, it will not be easy to live as a disciple of Christ. It will not. And so if you are his disciple and you're, you're living you know, out the Great Commission in the life that you have, you know, I, I think to a certain degree over the past number of years and generations, we've, this country has been somewhat more accommodating to a biblical worldview life system. Um, maybe not completely accepting, but more accommodating. But I think it would be fairly foolish for you to look around at the, the climate we find ourselves in in this nation, and even just to watch the news and think that for much longer, you know, this, the biblical worldview is going to continue to be completely tolerated or accommodated. And so how does that, how does that look for you? I mean, the, 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 the country, you know, in, in general is not looking good at the church. And so what do they need to see? They need to see the church, my life, your life, us working together. They're again making the invisible made visible. They should see the gospel in our lives. And Jesus says uh, in verse 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now it's easy to, to, to read that and think Jesus is saying, Hey disciples, check it out. All authority has been given to me, so I have the right to command you to do whatever, whatever it is I want. So listen up, I'm giving you a command right now. And, and there, there's a sense of truth to that as well, but I think there's also a sense to where he's empowering his disciples. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, I want all of you, you know, if you're finding yourself hungry after church or a little bit tired, uh, I want you to just go over to Tom Dorge's house. You know, he'll probably still be here. So... Don't, don't worry about knocking. Just, just help yourself right in. You know, if you're hungry, and please, just help yourself to the refrigerator. If you're tired, pull the covers back and take a nap. Just help yourself. Make yourself at home. Okay, I, I venture to say that no one's really going to take me seriously in that. 
But if Pastor Tom came to you personally and said, hey, you know what, I, I've been praying for you. I know you're going through a little bit of a rough time. Uh, me and Elena would like to meet with you afterwards. Can, can you just go to our house and, you know, make yourself at home? I'll be there shortly. You know, just whatever you need, just make yourself at home until we get back. Okay, there might then come a time, there might be some of you who would take him up on that offer. Why? Because he has the authority over his house to grant you access. He has the authority to grant you authority in his house. Much like, I like what Abraham Cooper had to say, there is not one square inch of the entire creation in which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. All of it is God's, and he's given us the authority to go out into all the nations, to, to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey Jesus. He's given us the authority to do that. He's empowered us to do that because it is all his. And if that's not encouraging enough, at the end of verse 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we see now that the the mission of the church is to make visible the invisible. And we're, we're, sent, we're made to, to go and to make and to baptize and teach. You know, I, I, I just, again, I, I don't see how any of those points could best be done without the local church. I don't know how you could try to replicate a Christianity that would be lasting. I mean, aside from even, even your own maturity and the maturity of those who potentially you're reaching, well, what about their kids? What about the next generation? The, the church is necessary for, for maturity in your life, for, for our lives, but it's also necessary for the next generation. About nine, ten years ago, whenever we first started attending the church, you want to know what, what it was that really stirred my heart and kind of made me want to give to this building campaign? Any of you old-timers remember the, the vision and the name of the building campaign? Cornerstone for Future Generations. I love that vision. The church came to the point where they said, you know, we, we've kind of already defied the odds of lasting in a school gymnasium. But if we're going to carry this on to the next generation, we're going to have to have a building. The church identified that we're responsible for the next generation. God's given us each other for our own spiritual health, but also the spiritual health of the next generation. And so we have the mission. We have, you know, a mandate given from God and, and how to begin that process. But it would also, also be pretty awesome if we had a model of how it works. How did it all begin? How did the local church begin? And how did it grow from there? It'd be really awesome if we had an example. And we do. Again, I want you to be amazed and just, and just be satisfied by, by God and when he's given us each other. And he's not just given us, you know, just, hey, go, go and be good and, you know, somehow make you and I all right. He's given us clear directions. He's given us Jesus who's He's given us his life, but he's also given us each other, and he's shown this is how you can do this thing. We have a model, and if you want to, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. And uh, this is a portion of Scripture that many of you will identify as Pentecost, where uh, for the very first time, all the believers in Jerusalem are, are given the Holy Spirit. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And as they begin to talk... You know, primarily, most likely in, in Greek or Aramaic, well, something, something magnificent happens. 
Jews from all over the world are gathered there at that time. And even if they speak Italian, whenever they hear the Aramaic words, they are actually hearing Italian. Same thing from all over the world. And Peter's very quick on his feet, and he realizes, whoa, all these people from all over the world can understand me. So he jumps up and he begins to preach for them the gospel. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. It's right there. He, he tells them how they were responsible for Jesus' death, but Jesus died and he's given them freedom. And, you know, about 3,000 people were saved that day. And so most scholars, biblical scholars, will look at this and say that this is where the church began. But to be honest with you, in, in that section, the, the, the parts that I just described, that's not where I see the local church beginning in Acts chapter 2. I could read those and still conclude that, you know what, it's awesome that, that Peter preached and now there's people from all over the world who are being saved, but where I really see in Acts chapter 2, the local church being formed is in verse 40. I'll read verse 40 through 42. <clears throat> and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. This is Peter saying, Save your lives from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. I see it's, I think it's of of utmost importance that we, we look at the scripture and we see that even though Jews from all over the world had gathered there, and even though Jews from all over the world had believed in Jesus, what, what did they do? They stayed. And verse 40 says that they submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship. What's the fellowship? It's the church. They stayed and they committed themselves to each other and they committed themselves to be made disciples and to the teaching of the apostles. I mean, I think it's absurd to read this and assume that there's no local church plant happening here. It's clear that there is a local church plant happening in Acts chapter 2. See, God never designed you to be able to flourish on your own. And we even see that at the very beginning of creation. God made Adam, perfect world, no sin introduced. And what does God tell Adam? It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. But, but, but God, no, I'm not alone. I have you, right? This relationship's good. No, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So he makes for them a help meet. And very much similarly, the church is our spiritual help meet. We have comrades with us in this life. Lovingly, hopingly, hopefully pointing out areas of weakness. We need that. Lovingly being the key word. But also not just to, to point our finger on, on weaknesses, but to be there to build each other up, to teach each other, to encourage each other. You need the local church, and to be honest, the local church needs you. The body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians calls it, it's not complete without you. It, and there's people in this church, just as much as you need to be encouraged and discipled by others, there's people in this church, even if they're not here yet, that will need to be discipled and encouraged by you. And if I can remind you that right outside those doors, 
There's a table easily set up for you to go and start that process through community groups. And if I'm right in saying this, I think we have one for all seven days of the week where you can meet. And if for some reason the evenings aren't good for you, well, good news, there's Bible studies in the mornings that you can sign up for, and youth group. Okay, there's ways that you can be involved and plugged into this local church. They've made it very easy for you to begin that discipleship process for you to be involved. Don't be satisfied with just the appetizer menu. You need the church, and the church needs you as well. And if I've not made it, you know, clear enough, I actually do want to say this. Now, if you're distancing yourself away from the local church, as we just said, the as Corinthians calls it, the body of Christ. If you're, if you're pushing yourself away from the body of Christ, not being involved, well, you're also pushing yourself away from the head, Jesus Christ himself. You, you can't have Jesus without, without his church. It's what he designed you for. It's how he designed you to live. And I think we've bought into this, this lie that, that freedom, the best expression of freedom is you being able to get the desires of your heart and whatever you want, and whatever satisfies you or whatever you desire, that's freedom, getting that. Being able to pursue that, that's freedom. I would say that's a lie. The, the best freedom, the highest extent of freedom that you can ever experience is being freed up to live the life that God created you for. You could go into a pet store, take a fish out of the water and say, man, you're stuck in this tank and throw it up in the air. Be free. It's not free. God created the fish to swim. He created you for his glory and he created you to be a part of the local church. He created us for his glory and for each other, that we might together, as iron sharpens iron, build each other up, live with each other. We need that. The world needs to see that. The gospel needs to be made visible. And if, again, if, if, there's, if I'm not provided enough of proofs of the, the local church in the New Testament, I mean, I could even think of, of Paul, Right? Paul writes to, to Timothy and says, Hey, Timothy, here's the qualifications for elders and for deacons. If there's no need for the local church, then why is there a need for qualified elders and deacons? Who are they leading? Who are they teaching? Why are they there? The local church is there to help teach, to help serve each other. And even with... Uh, I want to read Acts 14, verses 21 through 23. It says, Towards the end of Paul and Barnabas' last or first missionary journey, uh, they had spent some time in Derby. And so in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel in that city, Derby, they had made, the, they had made disciples. They returned, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they returned. They had already been there before. So they're basically retracing their steps strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in the church, they prayed with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They go back to the churches and establish elders there. Ed Setzer I believe, sums it up well this way when he said, church planting is the normative expression of the New Testament Christian. Nowhere in the Bible can you open it up and read, thou shalt plant churches. Why? Because that's what they were doing. 
That's what they were doing. It's plain to open up the scriptures and see that that's what they were doing. The apostles were going there, planting churches, they're discipling, and they were they're appointing elders. And even whenever Paul writes letters to encourage them, as we know as the epistles, you open up, and as Roman starts, to the, to the church at Rome, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Philippi, to the church in Colossae. And if you want to flip over to the last, you know, last chapter of Colossae, he tells them, cause this letter to be read amongst you in the church, and then I want you to go to the Laodiceans, give the church of Laodiceans this letter, take the letter that I gave to them, bring it back and read that letter to the church. It's all assuming that there are churches established and being built up around each other. I would say that church planting must continue to be the normative expression of the Christian faith. Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life up for her. The church is of vital importance. Here's what, here's what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying that the church is perfect. And I'm not saying that there's not some, some bad churches out there. There are. But here's, here's also what I am saying. I am saying that on this world, you will never find a perfect version of you either. You've not lived up to your own expectations. On your own, you cannot live up to God's. You need the righteousness of Christ. And being part of a local church, man, you can, you can, be, you can be broken, but you can be growing. You can be in the process of being made whole. You can, you can be discipled and teaching. You can be functioning and living that life that God created you to live, a true freedom, not a pursuit of what you think will make you happy. The pursuit of happiness is really the pursuit of godliness. It's not about seeking our desires. It's about ultimately fulfilling the desires of the Lord and the purposes that he created us to live for. Without disciples of the church, again, you cannot grow to maturity. The church needs you. You need the church. The next generation needs you. The world needs the church. So if we, we go in this world and all we're doing is evangelizing, 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 and never planting churches, where's the discipleship making? How is the gospel going to continue forward from that point? Just I, wanna, I just want to ch- challenge us to be involved, to be plugged into this local church, to, to live the life that God designed us to live for and to encourage one another in, in life and, and the, the pursuit of righteousness, of holiness as given to us in the righteous life of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for each other. We thank you that you've not called us to be spiritual lone rangers, but that you've given us comrades in this life, in this battle, Lord. And we thank you that more so than that, Lord, you've also given us your son, Jesus Christ, and you've enabled us, Lord, to to live a life that is meaningful, a life, God, that is truly free because we're living as you created us for. God, I pray that you would help us to to use the life that you give us wisely, that you'd be helping us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and truth, and that you'd be helping us, to, again, just to come alongside each other, encourage each other in love, 
God, I pray that you would use this church, Woodridge Community Church, this morning in powerful ways, Lord, in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world, that you'd be using us, Lord, your disciples, making disciples, going and teaching people to obey Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in our lives. In my prayer, amen.